then to read the impact of gardening. Have you ever thought about the values of your life? Who am I? What is the meaning of my life? What is my mission in life? What am I chasing for? What makes me happy? If you have been struggling in this situation with unanswered questions, you are probably confronting a concept called existential crisis. Impact Academy number nine will navigate on a journey to find the answers to those questions. In this journey, you will not be alone because Impact Academy and Dr. Lei Nguyen Fung will help you figure out your own path. Dr. Fung is a doctor of educational leadership, majoring in educational psychology at the University of Southern California in USA. He is best known for his book, Teaching Children in Uncertainty, published in 2017. And so, without further ado, get ready to learn about self-inquiry and existential crisis with the topic, Existential Crisis, The Journey of Finding Yourself. Welcome to Dentsu Reda Impact Academy, a non-profit initiative for those who are working in advertising, marketing, and education, with the goal of connecting a wide range of professionals, experts in many fields. Impact Academy will bring a multi-dimensional worldview, updated, critical, and profound perspectives to help evoke inspiration and empathy in each individual about life and the world around us. Dentsu Reda Impact Academy wider perspectives, richer souls. Session 9. Existential Crisis. The Journey of Finding Yourself. From 9am to 12.30pm on May 28, the Dentsu Reda Academy, DRIA, class took place safely on a digital platform with 144 employees from more than 10 companies. Participating in the topic of the times, Existential Crisis. The Journey of Finding Yourself. Existential crisis is a topic that is increasingly engaging with contemporary youth. Some comments suggest that young people in this current time are more susceptible to this psychological syndrome in greater numbers than other generations. So what is existential crisis? And how do we view this crisis in a methodical and scientific way beyond negative emotions? Well, in this recap, our Impact Academy would like to provide the best possible summary of the teachings of Dr. Lei Nguyen Fung in line with DRI's mindset. There is a recap after each session, and this one relates to Dr. Fung's aspirations in spreading knowledge. Existential crisis, also known as existential dread, is understood as a sudden change in environment that can lead to forms of anxiety, concerns, etc., even doubt or sometimes denial of existence. Every human born eventually faces the question about their own existence. According to Sigmund Freud, human personality is a complexity made up of many components. In his renowned psychoanalytic theory of personality, he argues that personality is composed of three elements, which are ID, ego, and superego. The three agents combine to constitute a complex of human personality. Each person, from birth to death, is governed by those three factors. Although these agents are present in almost every human, 
humanity is subject to the influence of another element that can be said to be more important, death. Death is the invincible force that makes us consider our existence. However, sometimes there are people who consider death as an optional and necessary part of their life. One case that we can take as an example is that more and more young people have a mutual thought. What is the point of living and then finally dying? When we grow up, observing the selfishness and evil that adults exude, we stop wanting to mature and choose to end life as soon as we can. There will be arguments about why humans would want to die when elephants, ants and plants want to live. Despite that, many young people commit suicide because they no longer find life meaningful or meaningful enough and so they choose death. Many times we ask ourselves what the meaning of life is, why we exist or what makes our life meaningful and worth living. Questions like why do we exist? And what is the meaning of this existence are considered the root cause of an existential crisis. When we get depressed, anxious or confused about the meaning of this life, many questions come to our mind. But in general, there is only one word. Why? Why do we choose this job over that one? Why do we choose this relationship? Why do we do this or why do we do that? Or questions like, what if, if only, etc which express nostalgia, regret, and even suicidal thoughts. This often happens when we have to, or are forced to, adapt to a certain change in our lives, which contain results or consequences that we are not fully aware of, or dare to imagine, or further still, even desire to know about. While all of this reflects one's ability to adapt to a certain environment or change of events, it also shows us that deep down inside there is an imbalance, lack of safety, insecurity with our identities, attachments and relationships in life. It can significantly affect one's consciousness, unconsciousness and even repository consciousness. For example, a person going through a divorce or a student unable to graduate will further doubt their own existence. What do I exist for? Why do these things happen to me? This is not to say that only seemingly negative events, loss, or an example create this kind of trauma. Even seemingly happy things, such as getting married, changing jobs, getting a promotion, or having kids, can create a similar reaction in some people. According to existentialist theory, the existential crisis is the beginning of awareness with the aim of comprehending and searching for reason, purpose, and meaning, and value of one's identity. More specifically, this is an essential process of self-inquiry, a journey and its experiences. It's a complex psychological human experience for the purpose of realizing one's own freedom. According to Nitschke, we as lions do not accept the identity of camels, having burdens piled on their backs in addition to the humps they already possess. Through ancestral repository consciousness, the self is acquired through interaction with the environment and receives a self received through limited perception such as other people's dreams, accumulated dogma, social conventions, etc. in order to form liberal rights and a consciousness of each individual. This is the process of realizing our freedom, which then determines how we will act from here on out. 
It is this beginning of self-reflection of freedom that guides our choice to freedom, how we own freedom and how we choose the end of life. It is also how we live our lives to the fullest, so that in the end of it all, we are aware that we have lived for a dream and not for something else. Subsection 1. Inquiring and Seeking Reasons In this process, we constantly pose the question of why, closely associated with our own formation and development. We yearn for an answer that brings intense desire, fully explains and shows us that we exist for something in the world and we long to know our role rather than psychologically accepting that we are the result of an instinctive act or a kingship obligation. Is our existence accepted or are we simply an organism subject to the physical and mental control of our creator or someone, some force, some system? Do we have any right to ourselves? Subsection 2. Inquiring and seeking purpose. What is our destination? If we say that existence is a means, what do we exist for? Where do we go? And if we live to do good things, why has the world not reached the pinnacle of goodness for generations? Is there a post-human world? Subsection 3. Inquiring and seeking meaning. We build for ourselves more than one meaning of our own existence. We fear that our existence is meaningless. Life is boring, bland. We have no reason to present anything different. When we know the meaning of life, we may feel we are a soul rather than a being only having physical pleasures. A soul is considered more sacred, more noble. When we go through transitions in life, perhaps through a crisis, we often question ourselves about what our concept of life is and why we have to go through such changes. Subsection 4. Inquiring and Seeking Values What are the core values of each person? In an existential crisis, the question becomes, what virtues do I need? And how would those values justify my existence? It's important to stop and reflect on these things. So right now, I urge you to pause. Pose the question to yourself about your own reasons, purposes, meanings and value. And for 30 seconds, stop and reflect before we continue. Section 5. Stimulation or Stimuli This plays an important role, but it is not a linear correlation. When changes like marriage, having children, changing jobs, losing loved ones, or health issues, perhaps even other kinds of changes in life take place, they often lead to an existential crisis or vice versa. As these transformations occur at a profound level, in part or in whole, the components of identity and the structure that governs their relationship change. The correlations between self and the outside world and the acceptance of mind in those correlations also change. This causes defense mechanisms and emotional paradigms to become activated, potentially leading to excessive stress, anxiety, overthinking, and of course trauma. Especially when experiencing the death of loved ones, something we haven't all experienced personally. This impact on loved ones, even strangers, is enough to make us think about life. It's also one of the main themes of existential crisis. Section 6. Main Themes of Existential Crisis Subpoint 1. Life and Death The Finite and the Infinite A fact that humans all try to deny is that everyone has to die. All things have to die sometime. 
Death is a foretold end for all living things. Death embraces the whole meaning of life. Like an endless void, even a hundred lives are like a spark in the dark. Some say death is the end and easy to apprehend. So what does life have to compare with death? And is death truly the end? This is a fundamental question, a question that underlies all religions and philosophies in life. In Hamlet, Shakespeare once said, What a piece of work is man! How noble is reason! How infinite in faculties, in form and moving! How expressive and admirable! The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals, and yet, to me, what is this quintessence of dust? And thus, this essence of dust must relate to the Bible for us to understand that by dust we were formed and to dust we will return through death. The concept of existential crisis exists more in Western thought rather than Eastern thought and lifestyle. Most religions consider human life to be more perfect than death. And the essence of existence is that life will not be lost when a biological body is gone. All religions and cultures all over the world have the concept of an immortal soul. Therefore, they all have certain rituals and symbols of the hereafter. Greek, Roman, Egyptian, Chinese and Indian civilizations are all prime examples. In Christianity, life transcends death. Life continues for infinity and redemption plays a central role in the Christian doctrine which brings about rebirth and healing. Unlike what is found in Buddhism, God will return once again, resurrecting all souls to be judged. When we analyze the resurrection of Jesus Christ, theologically, his death and resurrection is an eloquent declaration that death has been defeated. Specifically, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and those who are his children will be resurrected once again. When Jesus was resurrected, he took on human form. This is a symbol of life overcoming death, and it also has the meaning of redemption that liberates people from the unjust and the imperfect cruelty of this life. In addition to death, the worst of humanity can also overcome injustice, imperfection, the evil of the world such as wars, disease, or even crime. It also refers to certain human conditions of life, the heavenly dimension beyond this space, time and earth leading to eternity, infinity, and that is the sublimation of this natural world. In Christianity, human death is a mere border indicating a sometimes painful transition from the physical world to the spiritual world. But when we speak of philosophers, Socrates is a prime example. Socrates was a Greek philosopher who had many disciples. Fearing his influence, the government forced him to drink poison made from hemlock. However, Socrates was not afraid, but calmly and willingly accepted. He considered this a necessity to be reunited with the deceased, different gods and those he loved. He believed that bodies were prisons for souls. Therefore, only death can bring liberation break obstacles of the soul since bodies are inclined to worldly pleasures while souls seek knowledge and a sense of truth, virtue, moderation and spiritual accomplishment. It's time for reflection again. Take a moment to pause 
and think about what we've just talked about, especially the points regarding Jesus the Christ. Try to ponder these questions for the next 30 seconds before we continue. A. Are all of our actions in life, such as playing, parting, falling in love, etc., to escape or forget about death? B. We create things, even the birth of children. Is it because we want to mark our existence before we die? Or C. Why do we want to prolong our existence? Is it because we love what we possess? Is what we possess really that beautiful? Section 6.2 Freedom Individual and Social Constraints What is freedom? A German psychoanalyst known as Eric Pinches Fromm, spelt with two M's, who existed between 1900 and 1980, is considered the most outstanding representative of the new Freudian school. He argued that there are two kinds of freedom, which are freedom from and freedom to. So let's talk about freedom from. Freedom from is a negative freedom, also known as an escape. In this kind of freedom, humans have to be free from things, from people, and from oneself, which means that one is not dependent on things, people, or oneself, not enslaved to those things. Throughout human history, humans have had an ambition to enslave others. For example, when we love, we want our partner to follow us or do some certain things, etc. This indicates that we are consciously enslaving the other, and is that what love means? We will encounter many questions like this, and the answer is less important than the process of finding the answer. It is the process that makes us live more fully and profoundly. Freedom too, however, is a positive freedom. One has the right to voice their opinion to go to meetings. This is freedom expressed as a right, in the process of freeing ourselves from oppressive powers such as parents, society, schools, etc., we often feel a sense of hopelessness and despair. In the field of child development or child psychology, Alfred Adler shows us that when a child faces an adult, he, she feels completely anxious and hopeless, and that giants appearing in fairy tales clearly exhibit these problems. It is the world in the eyes of a child. In the process of self-liberating, it will never be complete until we have obtained freedom too, to replace the old systems of power. All national liberations emphasize this aspect. Therefore, it is necessary to refer to the classic work Escape from Freedom by social psychologist Eric Pinches Fromm. There are still cases in life where we desire to be dependent not all of us successfully take advantage of our own freedom. Therefore, we minimize consequences with ideas and behaviors in order to create a sense of security. Not to mention the fact that we get rid of those old systems. We become more afraid. In these circumstances, we frequently feel abandoned or left behind, and we lack the ability to survive. For example, we start to get all of these feelings when we feel abandoned by a group of friends. In the perspective of evolutionary psychology, this is a fear inherited from a hunter-gatherer era. This explains why young people, despite committing crimes or doing wrong, still desire to have a group of friends and a community. Thus, one could say that 
humanity in general is better to be tied down than to be alone. Section 6.3 Behaviours, Choice and Responsibilities We are all faced with choices. Not choosing is also an act of choice. Existentialism emphasises that all humanity is free to make choices in life while also being responsible for those choices. With death as an ultimate end, we have to look at things in terms of correlations in our life. Freedom can lead to despair as a result of this kind of responsibility. In all of us, there are moments of fear with decisions as we fear to make the wrong choices. In the perspective of causality, it is sometimes one-sided when we think that one cause produces one effect. There are many hidden variables in each of our choices. In every choice, there is inner contradiction, also known as dilemma, and there is no right and wrong, especially in matters of morality. Do we really do anything purely for the sake of effect, or do we actually still fear something in that effect? Therefore, are we really free? Section 6.4 Correlation Connection and Solitude Solitude is an adult achievement because kids always desire to connect with others. According to Fromm, people enjoy the feeling of climax or orgasm as we vanish and the boundary between ourselves and the outside world no longer exists. That is the reason why some people use drugs to run away, escape from a lonely individual life. It is also in that moment of self-oblivion that we see the finite becoming infinite. In order to continue to escape from solitude, even the finite moments, we are continually occupied with ideas about that feeling. However, it is not possible to run away when we have feelings and rest in a conscious way. When we refuse solitude to connect with others, we refuse independence. Section 6.5 Attitude Insensitivity Repressed Emotions False Happiness we will discuss insensitivity from a cultural perspective. Why is insensitivity evil? We have to consider ethical standards, social conventions, which people set up to help society become more disciplined. In Thomas Hobbes' Leviathan, Hobbes' perspective is concentrated on Leviathan. 1652. This 14-page classic book has yet to be translated into Vietnamese. However, the English version can be read online. Leviathan is the name of a sea monster that appears in the Old Testament section of the Bible, in both the book of Isaiah and the book of Job. This big, weird, scary, but charming monster is a creation of God. In the Christian tradition, Leviathan is often identified with the term Satan, or the devil, known as the deceiver. Its complex, contrasting properties provide great inspiration for later artistic creation. Hobbes' version of Leviathan deals with humans, the formation of society, and the ideal state being the commonwealth at the time. Hobbes sees the state of the government as a monster, known as Leviathan, which is indispensable to maintain social order. He seeks to explain why people do not accept the state of nature as inherent and why the free and independent existence of each individual isn't subject to restraint and a top-down pressure through institutions without state, but steps into social life 
with all kinds of law attached, including the hazard of absolutism. For Hobbes, the state of nature is evil. The state of nature is the state of war. Therefore, it is necessary to impose state power in order to put an end to the situation where everyone is the enemy of everyone. He once wrote, The last cause, purpose, intention which people pursue, they who by nature love freedom and like to dominate others when setting limits for themselves, then to live in them in a republic with the aim of self-defending and living happier that way, in other words, getting out of the atrocious state of war, which I have shown as the inevitable consequence of humans' natural desires. When no power exists to hold them still, to bind them through fear of punishment. The reason is that the rules of nature are in stark contrast to our natural desires. We are all predisposed to favoritism, arrogance, revenge, and many other similar character types. Hobbes does not accept that state, for without society and its accompaniment, humans could only live in pain, slaughter, and poverty. Psychologist Lawrence Kohlberg, through countless interviews and studies, has observed that moral building increases as children get older. The same goes for skills, such as language or reasoning. In Kohlberg's theory of moral development, it has to be concluded that moral development goes through three levels pre-conventional, conventional, and post-conventional. It is important to understand that not everyone experiences all these stages, and that not everyone reaches the final stage of development. Punishment and obedience, the early stages of moral development, are more common in children. However, adults can also develop this type of reasoning. In level one of pre-conventional, Kohlberg said that people see rules as always being fixed and standard. Abiding by these rules is extremely important as they are tools to help us avoid punishment. In individualistic cultures and in the exchange phase of moral development, children form personal opinions and judgments based on how they meet their own needs. In the Heinz dilemma, children assume that the best course of actions is the choice that best meets Heinz's needs. At this point, a concession can be made, but only when it responds to the subject's own concerns. In level 2, conventional morality, often referred to as the good child, good student orientation, this interpersonal phase of moral development concentrates on living up to expectations and rules of society. Emphasis is placed on compliance, behaving kindly, and considering the impact of decisions one makes on relationships. This stage focuses on maintaining social order, and people begin to consider society as a whole as making judgments. The central focus here is on maintaining law and order by following them, fulfilling one's duties and respecting the ruling class. In level 3, post-conventional morality, the ideas of a social contract and individual rights cause people to begin to form values, opinions and beliefs in others. The final level in Kohlberg's development of moral reasoning is based on general moral principles, and the abstract reasoning process witnesses people abiding by their internal principles of fairness, even when they are in conflict with external rules and regulations. To a further extent, we can see great people such as Gandhi, Martin Luther King, etc., fighting for their values, their inner beliefs, and not being influenced 
by the outside world. Humans are incapable and insensitive because they have learned helplessness. Learned helplessness, also known as conditioned helplessness, is the outwardly manifested behavior of a subject after having endured hostile, undesirable, or irritating stimuli that are repeated beyond the control of this subject. Initially, it was assumed that the subject was accepting this helplessness by stopping and trying to escape or avoid hostile, adverse, or unpleasant stimuli, even when alternatives were obviously available. By exhibiting such behavior, the subject is said to have learned to endure helplessly. For example, the effect of elephants being tied to a tree or animals in zoos getting frustrated trying to escape in vain. Learned helplessness is a mindset discovered by psychologists Martin Seligman and Stephen F. Mayer when they observed behaviors in both animals and humans. They did further research on this topic and explored the conditioned helplessness can be applied to humans and can even happen from the moment a person is born. To investigate this phenomenon, researchers conducted then another experiment. And to further investigate this observation, they divided a group of dogs into three categories. Group 1. The dogs were locked in a container without electric shock. They were forced to wear a yoke that paired them for a period of time. Group 2. The dogs were locked in a container, shocked with electricity, but were able to escape by pressing their noses on a control panel. To be more specific, they were forced to wear a yoke that paired them. Then they were given an electric shock. However, they were able to completely avoid it by pressing the control panel with their noses. In group three, the dogs were locked in the container, shocked with electricity, and were unable to get out. The third group received the same electric shock as the second group, except for the fact that the dogs in this group could not control the shock. Specifically, the electricity shock was carried out completely irregularly and beyond the control of the subject. All the dogs were then locked in a shutter box. The dogs in group one and group two immediately learned to jump over the small fences so as not to receive an electric shock, while those in group three made no effort to escape. As a result of their prior learning experience, they formed a cognitive expectation so that it was impossible to prevent or eliminate electric shocks on them. The results show that the dogs in group one and two quickly learn that they only need to jump over the fence to escape the electric shock, while those in group three showed no attempt to escape, but simply resigned to the fact. As we can see, the dogs in group three relied on their past experiences to decide on future attempts. As previous attempts were unsuccessful, therefore they did not bother to try again. 6.6 .6. Attitude Authenticity When being honest with oneself, one's own values become the key to happiness. Humans cannot live as placeholders in this life. To live is to exist and to be responsible for one's own decisions and to withstand solitude. According to Nitsky's thought, superhumans are people who have actually attained the highest freedom and self-control. Therefore, they clearly understand how they must act, not like untouchables who often tend to follow suit and rely on each other from the beginning, embracing boring ignorance so as to enjoy freedom, carefreeness, heartlessness, enthusiasm, etc. It is almost incomprehensible.
This is the attitude of living in the style of others when individuals lose their uniqueness and humanity leaves their roots in the sense of losing themselves. They do not live for themselves, they live for others. They live the way others live, they follow what others tell them. Nitschke constantly wants superhumans to get out, to stay away from the situation, choose a place of solitude or free solitude of gentle liberty that can give you the right to be present. The free-spirited are ones who think differently from what is expected of them based on their roots, their relationships, their position, their deeds, and the dominant ideals of the times. Only by keeping away from those untouchables, out of the spirit of slavery, will superhumans have the opportunity to be exceptional, to be able to live freely. When one self-destructs, one has done a respectable thing, one almost deserves to live for doing so and to escape all the nonsense constraints to glow in all shades of misery. Superhumans have to be self-disciplined, mature and accomplished in order to obtain ultimate freedom and no longer fear or be bound by the force held by the privileged. The spirit transcends all narrowness, smallness and separateness. In the book of Zaratustra, there is such a fable. The human spirit is a camel, a lion and a child respectively. This spirit is dominated by the harsh, which is the camel. Is there anything heavier? The strong spirit asked and knelt down like a camel, desiring a heavy load. Then in the middle of the desert, the spirit transforms into a lion. It desires to conquer freedom and master its own desert. Which great dragon that the spirit no longer wants to call God or Master? Its name is You Must. However, the lion spirit replied, I want. A lion cannot make a creation of new rules. However, it gives freedom to new creation, which is exactly what the lion's power can do. Finally, the spirit turns into a child. The child is innocent and oblivious, a revival, a game, a spinning wheel, a first movement, an eternal acceptance. The child represents the human spirit that has regained its innocence and ability to create new virtue. The new virtue differs from the old one in that it affirms rather than negates. It says yes to the world and to life. There is no world but this world. There is no value attached to that which does not exist in this world, so we have to first be a good person on earth. This is the new redemption. The reality is redeemed from the curse which the old ideals have weighed upon it. In summary, to be happy we need to be childlike, to have a sense of freedom, to be existent, to live in the present and to love reality. This concludes today's session. Densu Reda, Impact Academy, wider perspectives, richer souls, better humanity. Thank you for listening.